This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. It's our Ask a Doctor segment today. This is an open clinic segment where you can call or text in with your questions. And today we have joining us consultant geriatrician, Dr. Kor Hui Min. And she will be tackling questions about memory-related issues and problems, especially uh, when related to ageing, so among older adults, as well well as uh, I think uh, I'm sure we will get questions that are also related to um, anything to do with dementia or decreasing cognitive function, um, all issues that uh, we do see um, among the aging population. Uh, so you can call us with your questions. Um, 0377332900 is the number to call. If you'd like to send a WhatsApp text message or voice note, it is 018 899 or you can tweet us on BFM Radio. Um, Dr. Kaur, how are you today? Hi, Shaweek. Uh, I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining us. And uh, so just to reiterate, Dr. Kaur is a geriatrician, so she'll be talking about uh, uh, memory issues in the context of um, the older adults, um, the, the more aging population. Uh, she won't be able to address uh, memory issues that are sort of, you know, uh, maybe an, a, a, a result of brain trauma or, or anything like that. Um, but perhaps we can uh, kind of get a general idea first of how our cognitive functions are affected as we get older, Dr. Kaur. And um, are these kinds of changes actually um, inevitable uh, as, as we uh, get along in age? Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you for the question. So basically, if we think of our cognitive function, it has a few main core domains. So we divide them into like, you know, uh, uh, core domains of actually controlling uh, how our brains store and retrieve memory. We've got the language skills. You know, you've got the executive function where it involves thinking, planning, making decisions. Our brain also uh, affects how we behave in certain situations, as well as how we perceive things that we see or we feel, as well as our attention skills. So to be very honest, so as we get older, you know, most of our cognitive function remains intact, you know, but you may see and notice some small changes so, for example, uh, they may be slower processing speed. So it will take you probably as we age, takes us a bit longer to uh, recall certain information or events, but we should be still able to do so. Uh, uh, but when it comes to like, you know, learning new things, it takes us a bit more attempts to learn it and probably takes us a bit longer to solve complex problem. Reaction time may be a little bit slower. But, you know, everyone is different. So some people may experience a certain type of changes more than the others. But in general, these changes are minor and it should not affect your everyday life activities uh, per se. What makes someone um, experience it more than the other, like you said? What might be different from individual to individual in terms of the factors uh, in their lives? Uh, so basically, it depends on how well we've been looking after ourselves uh, as we age. So this is really a, a, a lifestyle that we have uh, uh, maintained, 
even from the time when we were young at very early age to the time in midlife and the time to older age. So, of course, if you are a person who is more active, whether is it physically or even uh, mentally, uh, you, you have attained certain level of education, you continue to be active in doing things. So even post-retirement, you are engaged with uh, whatever is happening around you and uh, you continue to uh, have good uh, cognitive skills in like, you know, getting yourself uh, to do the hobbies that you like, challenging your brain to do new things. And of course, that would help maintain your cognitive skills uh, for longer and uh, you would experience less of these changes as you age. So, but, but, but of course, you know, there are things like, you know, and ensuring you have a healthy uh, uh, lifestyle as well as knowing that and making sure that you, you, you do things to prevent chronic illnesses. So all this parts all these parts come into play yeah, yeah. And, and i'm sure there are people uh, who perhaps are living with dementia now or some form of dementia and you might look back at their lives and say well they kind of ticked all those boxes right uh mm. and and yet you know that they are having been diagnosed with dementia what explains that yeah well to be very honest we don't yet know exactly uh a hundred percent why certain people get dementia and certain people don't. So the uh, examples or the risk factors that I've mentioned probably contributes to one third of the reasons or one third of the factors that we know at this moment. So there are probably another two third might be uh, secondary to genetic makeup, uh, to a family history that increases a person's tendency of developing dementia. So there's still this thing that we need to find out and hence there's lots of you know research in dementia going on at the moment. So specifically, memory is what we're talking about today as kind of like a, a symptom uh, of uh, these, these cognitive functions sort of uh, potentially decreasing and, and maybe being a sign of a neurodegenerative condition like dementia. But but first, you know, if we are looking at uh, the kinds of um, uh, uh, changes that may occur in the brain that would lead to memory issues, what, what's actually happening in the brain? So I think if we want to look uh, specifically into changes in the brain, so as we get older, we will definitely experience shrinkage of the brain volume. And in uh, persons living with dementia, the rate of the shrinkage is probably accelerated compared to those who don't. And uh, what we find also in uh, uh, people living with dementia, so some depends on the subtypes of dementia, we also find that there are higher uh, incidences of uh, vascular changes. So that in respect, I mean that, you know, changes in the blood supply, the vasculature of the blood supply to the brain, there may be uh, hardening of the arteries, there may be blockages that gives rise to poor blood flow to the brain. So these may be things that we, we could see, especially if you do a brain scan uh, 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 per se. But we know, of course, in the pathology of dementia itself, there is the built up of abnormal proteins in the brain that actually accelerate uh, the cell death. Yeah. Is there a particular age bracket that we're talking about? And, I, I, and I'm aware that, again, this will um, differ from individual to individual, like you said, depending on those lifestyles and, and perhaps the genetic component. But, you know, um, is there 
I'm probably asking this because, you know, I'm concerned for myself. I mean, is there uh, an age bracket where perhaps we'll be looking at, this is not aging, but perhaps this is early onset or premature kind of uh, memory issues? Oh, right. Okay. I mean, if you are looking at uh, someone who has a tendency to develop dementia, uh, then we normally see it in older age group. Yeah. So a majority of the time with neurodegenerative disease, you're talking about people above 65 years old. And of course, the, the, the older you get, the risk is much higher. So you're talking about if you're 80 years old, probably about one in five may develop dementia. But if you talk about, you know, just general, uh, when would a person's brain start to shrink, you, you, you'll be talking about probably in their 60s and 70s, you will experience some uh, a brain shrinkage and that's just age-related shrinkage yeah, oh. as such. All right. So get your questions in for Dr. Kaur. You've gotten a sense of um, what we're talking about today is age and your memory. You can call us at 0377332900 with your questions or send a WhatsApp message or voice note to 018-789-8899 in this uh, on Zoom with me today. See, I'm losing my memory, aren't I? <laughs> um, <laughs> consultant geriatrician, Dr. Ko Hui Min. Um, we are addressing your questions about memory-related issues among older adults. Um, I've got a few related to sort of short-term memory loss that I will get to after the break. So stay tuned to Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiaoik, and my guest consultant geriatrician, Dr. Kor Hui Min. It's our open clinic segment. You can call or message us with any question that you have about memory-related issues among the older adult population. So the number to call is 03-7733-2900 or to WhatsApp a message or voice note, you can use the number 018-789-8899. Um, I have two questions here that are actually very similar. Um, one is, uh, you know, asking about his grand-aunt who frequently repeats the same questions to us over and over again. Um, is this a sign of Alzheimer's? Um, although this person um, says his grand-aunt has always been very active and alert. And uh, the similar question that follows is also about sort of that loss of short-term memory, asking the same questions. Uh, and, and Sue wants to know as well, um, should we just answer that question every time it comes up? Or, or should we tell them, you know, you're kind of, you've, you've just asked that. Uh, yeah, how, how should, um, so is it a sign of Alzheimer's and, and how do you deal with it? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, we can't say for sure until we assess the, the, the person, but uh, usually what we tend to hear is that uh, the person uh, who, who, who may have a short-term memory loss does have repetitive questioning or they may repeat themselves over and over again as though it's the first time they're telling you uh, the information. So that, that is a sign that possible they may be an underlying neurodegenerative disease and that should be assessed to see if there was other components that may be involved. Uh, in, in terms of how should we deal with it, uh, I think it, it takes a lot of patience, of course. I mean, if it's the first 
one or two times, you would answer it as though you've just heard it. But if it's what the tenth or the twentieth time, I believe that uh, patients will 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 reduce. But uh, but what we suggest uh, family members or relatives do is that uh. Uh, take patient, uh, do answer them. And sometimes if there's certain information they've asked you once, uh, probably writing things down and putting it into somewhere that they can look at it will help them to uh, recall that, oh, I've asked this question. Uh, so this is where I find the answers. Yeah, so those are just some uh, uh, ways to go around it. So you say um, that, you know, an assessment would be necessary Um what do you do in this assessment? And, uh, you know, what might be some of those other components that you said uh, could, could, you know, be contributing to this? Yeah. So uh, what normally happens is that when we see someone with suspected possible uh, underlying dementia, uh, we do a very thorough assessment in our clinic. So uh, there will be a long discussion about, you know, what's been going on. So we want to assess how they're living their day-to-day lives and actually look at the different domains that I've mentioned earlier to see if those domains are also affected. So besides just memory, we want to know how are they coping with uh, expressing themselves, you know, in terms of their language skills. Are they able to understand what's being told to them? Uh, Have there been any changes in the way they perform their usual activities. Because some of uh, persons living with dementia may stop doing something that they are very familiar in doing. So certain tasks they might stop doing. So we want to know how long has this been going on for and what are the things that they don't do now. Uh, Other things that we've also wanted to know is in terms of their uh, social interaction with others, uh, how how, uh, active they are and is there been a change as well as also thinking about uh, their decision-making ability. So those are the things that we want to ask family members to see if they've noticed any changes. So basically, the key point is, is there a change from what they were like before? Mm. And which is why we always suggest that, you know, someone come along with the person that needs to be assessed so that we can counter-check uh, uh, what's been happening at home. Yeah. Actually, so of course, um, yeah, sorry. Of course, then there will be like, you know, different assessment, like we do a formal cognitive testing using the tools that we use and physical examination to make sure that it is not something else that is affecting the cognitive function besides dementia. Mm, I want to get to that something else in a short while. But, um, you know, it just occurred to me that having the individual in front of you and you're you know able to do that assessment is perhaps already a step ahead getting your family member to um, see a geriatrician or or someone similar, right? Um, That's a challenge in itself, I presume? Uh, Yeah, yeah, definitely. So many times uh, when I see an older person who comes to clinic, uh, most of the time they have no idea why they're here. Uh, Yeah, so most of the time they are family members who are concerned about the change and brought them along. So uh, first of all, Having a cognitive assessment is is not a lot different uh, than having just a comprehensive uh, geriatric assessment of an older person's general health. So besides just, you know, zooming on and thinking about, you know, their memory per se, we actually look at generally lots of other different aspects. We want to know what kind of medical uh, problems they have, what medication they take, how they've been coping with maintaining uh, their physical health. So all this comes into play as we manage someone who may have cognitive impairment. 
Does having that cognitive impairment um, affect their perception of their own reality that they would not realise that their behaviours and their memory or whatever is is, um, changing? Yeah, Uh, it it really depends. Uh, For some individuals, they do know and they do feel that there is a change. So they'll come up front to tell you that, oh, yes, I'm not as good as what I was three, four years ago. And I noticed that sometimes I'm going to the kitchen, I needed to get something and I can't remember. Or uh, 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 they've noticed that gap. Yeah, but for other individuals, there will be some who do not feel that there is difference in what they're doing. Although even when there is clearly signs that things have changed. So there may be different ways how a person uh, uh, presents even with the same disease itself. Yeah. And you mentioned, just to make sure it's not something else, so mm. what uh, other issues or conditions could be mistaken for dementia? Yeah. So uh, l- like what I've mentioned, sometimes you need to differentiate dementia from other medical condition. So one of the common ones would be what we call delirium, which is basically uh, an acute change in your cognitive function. So this is uh, something that we frequently see in older adults. Let's say if they've had an acute illness, they've been hospitalized uh, for certain medical uh, condition. And when they you know, get discharged and the family members felt that, oh, you know, they're not the same, you know, they're forgetful, they're asking the same question. So we want to know the speed of how quick that change has happened. So it was, if it was really very acute, then you'll be thinking about, oh, this may be an underlying medical problem that's made their brain a bit confused. And as when their medical illness recovers and they, as they get better, the confusion also improves. But there will be also other uh, 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 medical illnesses that can also affect your cognition. So for example, someone with undiagnosed uh, underactive thyroid, they may be lethargic, their attention is poor, and it makes them look forgetful, or even infective causes, as well as uh, uh, like a vitamin deficiency, like vitamin B12, folate deficiency. And the other big one we've seen is also to differentiate whether this is dementia or actually depression. So uh, that's that's what we do in our assessments. So we ask lots of questions to tease out, you know, what we're dealing with uh, that has caused this change in their cognition. Mm. Are there patients whom you see with um, uh, perhaps milder kinds of memory issues that you might say you're not picking up anything and mm-hmm. it's okay, nothing to be concerned about. It's kind of quote-unquote normal forgetfulness? Is there such a thing as normal forgetfulness? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes you get uh, concerned older adults uh, themselves who come and see you because you're worried uh, about changes in their cognitive function. So there are many uh, different aspects to this. There may be some older adults who come and tell you that they clearly feel that there is a change. They are not as... Uh, as quick in terms of recalling information uh, compared to what they were before. They are worried that they may get dementia. So this is what we term it as subjective cognitive impairment. So when you do the formal testing, they score perfect, you know, but they do feel that there is a change. So interestingly, when you look at this group of patients, you know, in the long run, let's say five, six years down the line, 
the chances of this group of patients developing cognitive impairment is actually higher oh. compared to those who totally do not, I mean, who, those who you do not see and who do not feel that there is this change. I mean, but that's just one aspect of it. But there will be other uh, 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 worried uh, uh, older adults who basically literally had no major issue, but they're just concerned and just mm-hmm. did want to clarify that they're not uh, going to develop dementia. So yeah, so that's 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 when we want to 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 assess which ones of this individual that we could say, okay, you know, you don't have to come back anymore or which ones of this individual we would say, oh, maybe you just come back a year later and let's see how things are going for you. All yeah. right. Um, Sheikh Fadil has uh, two questions. Um, first one is interesting. Is it true that dementia is um, a disease seen more among the wealthy or the privileged? Um, it seems to be more prevalent among them. And perhaps is it because uh, they lead more privileged lifestyles, they're more sed- sedentary? Uh, well, I have to defer with that opinion. I think, uh, uh, to be very honest, when we look at uh, dementia and you know the population of older adults with dementia even in our Malaysia National Health and Mobility Survey in 2018 they found that uh, there is an increased prevalence of dementia occurring in uh, older adults who live in the uh, non-urban area and also those with lower income as well as those who have lower educational uh, level attainment compared to uh, the ones who are wealthier or have, you know, high educational attainment. I'm not sure if it's because uh, the wealthier one probably notice a change and comes and see uh, a doctor earlier and, and wants to know, know for sure, uh, compared to uh, those who are not and probably a lot of undiagnosed dementia among the uh, older population who are at the B40 groups itself. Yeah. And um, Fadil's second question is, um, again, interesting. Are there any statistics that show that um, motorbike riders are less likely to develop dementia since the skill um, required to ride a bike is akin to playing musical instruments, um, i.e. engaging a lot of motor skills uh, and is a mood booster as well? I see where you're going with this, Fadil. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to say that uh, I can't say for sure on top of my head, but I think I've read something about it as well. Because when you ride a motorbike, it requires, you know, the balancing skills and also uh, the awareness of where you're going. Uh, they, they are. Uh, so, so basically, we find that as long as you are active and you are uh, uh, physically doing more things, uh, then the chances of developing dementia is lower. Uh, so there, there is a possibility, but I can't tell you the exact uh, statistics for it. But one thing we know for sure that, uh, you know, uh, in your midlife or any uh, uh, younger adults who develop, let's say, uh, traumatic head injury or any, any motor vehicle accidents that involve the head uh, definitely has posed a slight increased risk of developing cognitive impairment in the future. Yeah. Right. So right. I, I was thinking about that. You've chosen, Fadil, you've chosen the one activity that also puts you at higher <laughs> risk, potentially, if, uh, if uh, you know, safety is not followed. Um, we have a question about, uh, from Anne. Uh, my grandmother is in her late 80s and has been diagnosed with mild dementia. Does doing activities like um, spot the difference and join the dots help to keep her mind active? She really enjoys them. 
Uh, yes, uh, definitely. So to be very honest, any activities that involve the older person uh, uh, making a response to what they're doing will help. So for example, I always say that, you know, just sitting at home watching television, uh, there is no response required from the older person. They just open their eyes and look at the television. So there's not much uh, stimulation to it. But if it involves them uh, uh, making a decision to, you know, join the dots or, you know, even using a pen to do word search itself, it requires that response that they have to make towards the activity. Then that's a good activity, especially if she enjoys it. Yeah, all the more. Mm. <laughs> It does seem very simple, actually. Um, is that enough, would you say? Now, uh, and I, and I want to link this to what you brought up earlier about somebody who, who may come in with concerns. Um, in assessment, seems clear, but could potentially be at higher risk later. So what would you advise them to do in the interim before they come in for follow-ups that could sort of like just boost it somehow, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So if we talk about uh, uh, older persons who are mild stage or even haven't reached, you know, having uh, dementia, so that's when they are more active and they're definitely able to do more. So we do want to challenge uh, their cognitive thinking skills. So we get them, you know, to think about uh, uh, learning a new skill even. So it could be learning a new language, go for dance class, you know, uh, doing arts and craft. I mean, doing, you know, painting and, and, and stuff like that. Definitely we want to uh, increase the level that is challenging enough at the specific stage that they are at. Uh, so I know that there are many different courses for older persons that they can join, uh, uh, like the University of Third Age. They've got so many different courses that older persons can, can pluck in, you know, just learning photography, learning how to, you know, run a business or things like that. So definitely if they're at very mild stage or if they are uh, just worried that they may develop dementia, then that's something that they should do. But of course, if you're looking at someone who is a little bit more advanced in dementia, then whatever activities that they do has to match their ability because you don't want them to engage in certain activities that is too challenging because then they will lose the interest and, and possibly not want to do it anymore. Right, yeah. right. Um, we had a, a, a WhatsApp voice note from Salman. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it out, Salman. Uh, is there research that shows that if you're smarter or have higher IQ, you have a higher risk of contracting dementia or if you have a job that requires more brain power than normal, does that make a difference to the risks? Okay. Uh, it would be the other way around, actually. So if you have higher educational attainment or you're working in a job that requires you to constantly make decisions, so you're always on the go, you're using your brain to solve problems, then you build up a bigger brain reserve. And that actually reduces your risk of developing uh, dementia or present with the symptoms of dementia, even when you have contracted the disease. So because we know that dementia, uh, you know, when someone's being diagnosed with dementia, whatever pathology that's happening in your brain has already occurred, you know, for the last like, you know, five, 10 years before um. your symptoms occur. So hence, let's say if you've got higher brain reserve and you've already got the disease, but you may not present with the symptom up until later, you know, a couple of years later. So it's definitely uh, worth keeping yourself active, your brain active, even post-retirement age. 
So yeah. five, ten years prior to sort of like the first signs appearing. So in a way, it, well, not to sound too gloomy about this, it, it's not too late, is it, by the time signs actually appear? Uh, well, we, we know that even if signs do appear, uh, we still continue to uh, uh, suggest that you remain as active as possible, continue to train your brain, because that would reduce uh, the progression of the presentation of the symptom of the disease. So that's definitely beneficial, uh, uh, even if you know a person has already been diagnosed with dementia. Mm. Yeah, because you can still at least train the brain to to continue doing what you're able to do and keep the skill set that you have for as long as possible. Um, we have a more like a comment on WhatsApp. I think it's related to our topic, though a little bit tangential. But I'm just going to read it out before we go for a break because I think it is important. Uh, Ministry of Health should financially support the opening of more hospices in um, housing estates uh, in the Klang Valley, although I think maybe across Malaysia, due to the increasing number of elderly people with terminal illnesses that need palliative care, incentives such as funding for renovation to house owners who are willing to contribute their property for hospice purposes. That's an interesting prospect, but definitely palliative care uh, is um, probably not getting as much attention as it should and uh, as you rightly pointed out, uh, the listener, um, that is important in our ageing society. So we're going to go for a quick break and come back to address a couple more questions. Do send them over. You still have a bit of time. You can send a WhatsApp message or voice note at 018-789-8899 or you can call us with uh, at 0377332900 to speak to consultant geriatrician Dr. Ko Hui Min who is on our open clinic segment today discussing issues related to age and your memory. So stay tuned to Health and Living BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik, and my guest, consultant geriatrician, Dr. Ko Hui Min. It's Ask a Doctor today. Ask a Doctor about memory um, issues that are relating to aging. So you can call us at 0377332900. You can also send a WhatsApp message or voice note to 018-789-8899. Winston is asking, um, okay, so Winston says his mother is diagnosed with mild dementia. She's 80 years old, has um, had mild dementia for more than five years. But as her children, we find it difficult to understand her because in some ways she still behaves like her old self, um, like uh, one example that Winston gave is um, still wanting to uh, put on her makeup and go out and stuff, but then she tends to forget new things. Is this normal? Uh, yeah, I think that's that's what we see in uh, persons living with dementia. Really. But one thing to remember that even if a person has dementia, it doesn't mean that that they've lost their to their self totally. So it's it's just that they have gaps about. Uh, uh, and some confusion about certain aspects uh, uh, of possibly disorientated to time and, you know, certain gaps in their memory. But a lot of times they are still who they are. So hence, uh, there will still be times where they want to, to be treated the same way as, as and, I mean, all of us want to, the same way as how anyone would would, would, uh, would treat us. And uh, of course, then when we understand that there are gaps, 
And sometimes it's also important to see how we can help them to ensure that the environment that they're in is supportive enough so that they can live as independent as possible for as long as possible. Yeah, so it's really this about a relationship uh, centered care. So understanding uh, uh, where they're coming from and how we support caregivers to 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 face with these changes that the older person has. Like. And I know, I know it's really interesting, like, you know, what you've mentioned earlier, just before the break about hospice care and, you know, services for older persons with uh, quite advanced dementia. We, we know that there is a lack in how dementia is being managed uh, in, 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 in most Asia-Pacific countries or, or not just Malaysia itself. That's why uh, we are looking into relationship-centered care to look into the, the journey of a person living with dementia. I mean, that's just one of the projects that we're doing in uh, University Malaya itself at the moment, together with our linguistic uh, faculty, as well as rehab medicine and geriatric medicine, to see if we can make a blueprint out of, you know, the dementia care process. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Mm. All right. And, and speaking of a sort of independence that you raised, uh, another question is um, uh, somebody who says his father has pretty severe memory loss, uh, has in fact, you know, when sometimes when he goes out on his own, can't find his way home. And so they're very worried. Um, and uh, the family has actually stopped the father from going out on his own. But then that upsets him. And, you know, again, relationships in the family. Um, what should we do? Yeah. Uh, so what I normally advise uh, caregivers or family members is, I mean, it depends on, uh, number one, how how safe is the person going out on their own? Are they steady on their feet, you know, or, 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 or are they at risk of falling? Uh, that's one. And the other thing is that, you know, what kind of uh, neighborhood setting that you're living in? So if you are living in a guarded and a gated community you know your, you know your neighbors i would normally tell them that you know don't stop them from going totally but just ensure that if they do go it's in a safer environment that you can you can make it you know tell the guards that you know if you see him wandering around please just bring him back you know this is his house because he has memory problems yeah uh, uh at times as well as you can imagine the older person is probably in the house for many many hours a day you know each one of us would want to go out to you know, uh, have some fresh air and things. So at times, even just bringing them out for a short walk is enough to 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 help them uh, ease the uh, uh, agitation of you know I want to go out. You know that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting question from Dick. Why does the short term memory tend to go first? <laughs> Yeah, uh, so it depends on how our brain process uh, information. So because in your short-term memory, uh, the issue we have is with the storage. So many times when you uh, certain things that just happen and when someone tells you something, uh, you have to store, it, uh, uh, store the information. And the problem now is with the storage uh, as well as the retrieval. But for long-term memory, it's already stored in a long-term memory process. Hence, it's easier to retrieve rather than new information. So that's usually the first to get affected. Yeah. Mm. Um, a question, would taking AED meds, and I think this refers to anti-epileptic drugs, like Keppra, worsen the odds? Uh, there, there is no... 
studies to show that taking Capra itself increases the risk of getting dementia. Um, more so, the question is uh, what has what is the cause of the epilepsy and whether that could actually be a, 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 a risk factor of developing dementia. Not so much the drug mm. itself, but I think it's the cause of why the person is on the drug. Yeah. And, and, and is that a risk factor? Uh, depends on uh, what would be the cause of the epilepsy. Uh, so we know that definitely having uh, uh, trauma to the brain or damages in the brain or having strokes in the brain also increases your risk of developing seizure or epilepsy. And uh, But the, the underlying cause itself also increases the risk of developing dementia. So there is a slight uh, linkage depending on what pathology is involved, uh, but not so much the drug itself. Yeah. And uh, Ritza is... Uh, sharing um, an experience. Riza is saying, a few months back, I encountered a moment where I drove at what seemed to be a completely unfamiliar place. But in reality, I drive the same road almost every day. Um, other memories were okay. It was only the places. Having said that, Riza says he's, 20, he's 49, which um, I'd like to think is young because I'm not that far off. Um, is this is this perhaps a cause for concern that there's something that might be developing in the background? Uh, I mean, I can only answer for whether you could you think that this could be a, a dementia or a specific cognitive impairment related to neurodegenerative disease. Mm, yes. And I would say uh, the answer is no. Uh, but yeah, but why exactly do these happen? Uh, I, can't, I can't really answer that uh, itself. Yeah. All right. Um, and, and, but speaking of um, cognitive impairments, and, and we, we've been talking very much about dementia. And of course, you did mention that uh, you you want to also, of course, rule out other uh, physical conditions. And I understand that um, in somebody with depression, in an older adult with depression, um, memory changes can also occur. Um, would you like to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, so there is a very close link between depression and uh, dementia. So we know for sure that uh, uh, anyone who has uh, depression, uh, for, for example, like say untreated depression for many years in their midlife, has an increased risk of developing dementia in the future. But we also find that uh, persons living with dementia also has an increased risk of developing depression. So uh, uh, it, it's very hard to, to pull these two to, uh, uh, separately because we find that uh, sometimes the same individual may have both condition. But I guess when you come to the actual diagnosis, when you're seeing the person uh, uh, for the first time, it's important to see which component is, 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 is more prominent. Yeah, so it, it could just be depression and the person has... Uh, uh, poor attention to details because their mood is low and they may uh, be uh, suspecting that, oh, you know, my memory is poor, could this be dementia? But in fact, it was actually depression. And once treating the depression, they find that, oh, I could do things that I used to do before uh, and my memory is better. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Winston messaged again with another question. What's the difference between dementia with BPSD and mild dementia? Uh, okay. Uh, uh, I think if you so could uh, explain what BPSD stands for as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, so BPSD is behavioral and psychological changes with dementia. So we 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 always tell family members that you know dementia just does not just affect your memory, but uh, it may also change the behavior or the personality of a person. So, for example, the person might get agitated. You know, they might be aggressive. They may have what we call apathy, which means lack of motivation to do anything, or they may develop uh, depression. So these are the behavioral changes that comes with uh, the underlying dementia. So uh, uh, they, so, so some, I mean, I have to say that, you know, probably up to 80% of persons living uh, with dementia do experience uh what we call BPSD, but in, in different varying degree of severity and also different types of BPSD, as I've mentioned. So that's what uh, the BPSD means. And when you talk about what's the difference between dementia with BPSD and mild dementia, mild dementia basically is just telling us the, the, the severity of the dementia. So usually uh, in general terms, you divide dementia into mild, moderate and severe. Yeah, so yeah, so that's that's what these mm. two terms. Mm. Yeah. And, and speaking of the behavioral uh, sort of aspects, we do have a question from Jacob, um, who's asking about um, uh, his father who has memory loss as well as hallucin hallucinations and mm. experiencing quite a bit of paranoia and, you know, um, describing the hallucinations as being so real to the father. And there's just no reasoning with him that, you know, this is not reality. Whatever you're going through is not reality. Yeah. So I think, uh, I mean, when an uh, older person with dementia have behavioral symptoms, that it's it's actually uh, the most distressing uh uh, a caregiving process for the caregivers itself that we definitely understand. And uh, many times these behavioral symptoms usually occur because of a, a trigger. So the trigger could be like, you know, for example, if they're in pain or they're just uncomfortable or they're bored or they, they just have a need that they could not express out that gives rise to that behavioral symptom. Uh, but I also understand that sometimes you just could not find a cause for it. And the confusion that's happening in your brain uh, probably gives you that fear and also uh, uh, the, the hallucination. So when that happens, it's very important to not try and correct the person, uh, try and provide a very soothing environment, try to be supportive and let things calm down. Uh, if things really get out of hand, it's important to speak to a medical uh, doctor to explain that. Because if these symptoms causes harm to the person themselves, then it's important that it has to be treated. Yeah, but, you know, and not just particularly medicine, but, you know, uh, the healthcare professional can work together with you to try and see whether, oh, actually, is there a medical problem to this? You know, is it because they are uncomfortable in, 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 uh, in because they've got certain minor ailments? You know, so it's important to check that out. Yeah. Mm. But uh, definitely don't argue with them. Uh, just calm yourself down <laughs> because when you are calm, they are calmer. And if you're agitated, they're even more agitated. Mm. Yeah. And speaking of, um, you know, seeking medical help, um, perhaps we could wrap up with um, some advice from you. Uh, who should 
family members take their loved ones to... Uh, I mean, I, I know you run a memory clinic in uh, University of Malaya Medical Centre, but is that necessarily... Because, you know, not everyone has access to going to a memory clinic. So, you know, uh, can can they go to their GP? Do they need to see a geriatrician? Uh, what what are some tips that you can offer for our listeners who, who are probably thinking, oh, you know, there might be some red flags that I'm recognising in my loved one? Yeah, okay. Uh, so the first advice would be if you feel that or you're worried about uh, uh, your loved ones who may be developing memory problem or even for yourselves, the first thing to do is just to consult your general practitioner first to allow them to make the initial assessment, you know, uh, so that they will channel you to the right uh, specialist to see. Because there have been instances where we've seen older adults who have some memory problem, but actually when you check their general health, they have undiagnosed diabetes uh, uh, that, that has affected, you know, uh, changes in how, how they think and stuff. So it's also important to get yourself checked out by the general practitioner. And if they feel that, oh, there is a need to see a specialist to look into this in more detail, then yeah, geriatricians uh, see uh, uh, uh uh, uh, patients who may have cognitive uh, issues. Uh, uh, they are also psychogeriatricians, basically they're psychiatrists who specializes in older person's mental health as well as neurologists as well. Yeah. Mm. So, but it's best to get the initial workout done first uh, before you wait to see a specialist. Yeah. So your primary care physician, right? Your family doctor, That's your right. GP. Yeah. That's right. Because right. they are the ones who know you best. So they could definitely sort out a few things for you first uh, before you see the specialist. Mm. Yeah. Any final message, uh, final words that you'd like to share, Dr. Kaur? <laughs> yeah, thank you. So I think uh, it, it's just, as we always say that, you know, prevention is better than cure. And I've always kept mentioning that there's definitely a lot of things that you can do in your whole lifestyle, whether you're in early age for the listeners or, you know, midlife or later age, you know, maintain uh, physical fitness, exercise, avoid sedentary lifestyle, lead a healthy lifestyle, and remember always to uh, 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 social uh, interact socially with other people as well as keep your mind active. Yeah, that would definitely do you uh, 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 give you a very good and long life. Lah. All right. Yes, that's what we want. Thank you so much. I've been speaking to consultant geriatrician Dr. Ko Hui Min uh, for our open clinic segment on age and the memory today. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.